0: Well, friends, I'm Pastor Aaron. Howdy, Pastor Aaron. Howdy, Pastor Aaron. Yeah, howdy, friends. So, friends, we start this morning a sermon series, To Be Continued, lessons from 2 Timothy. So if you're not there already, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 7 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Now, why do we call this To Be Continued? Well, there's a couple reasons, really two primary reasons one this is second timothy so what came first everybody say it first timothy yeah so first timothy was written probably about you know 62 63 ad Timothy and Paul had been traveling together for more than 10 years and had developed an intimate relationship where Timothy was Paul's number one lieutenant that he sent on little side mission trips to do things. And now he's left him as the pastor of the church he planted in Ephesus, a church that even though Timothy is there, has got some issues. And so Paul wrote him first, Timothy, to say, hey, Dear brother, well, actually, he refers to him as his son. Remember, we call that my true child, my, our first Timothy sermon series we preached months ago. But he refers to him as his son in his ministry. So he's not just a lieutenant, but he looks at him as his own child. Paul was never married, that we know, or Scripture says. And so he had a son in Timothy. And so he's writing the second book of Timothy a couple years later, probably 64, 65 A.D., Um, And he's telling him, hey, I heard there's still problems in Ephesus where you pastor. Here's some additional advice for you. But the second thing that's happened in 2 Timothy and the second reason we call it to be continued is this. Paul sees that the end is near for him, maybe because of his age, maybe because of his health, maybe because of his Roman imprisonment, and he could see what's coming down the road in that Roman imprisonment potential execution, he's almost handing the baton now to his son in the ministry, his number one lieutenant, Timothy, and he's saying the things that I did as a pastor, a missionary, an evangelist, a church planter, I'm asking you to carry on for me to be continued. You know, when I was a child, I don't remember how old I was when I figured out about TV shows that they have a time, and I could look at the clock in my family's house. You know, we had the the TV that sat across the room that you had to get up to change the channel. Does anybody else remember those? Yeah. Yeah, we had that, and we also had a clock, you know, on the wall to the side. So I don't remember how old I was, probably older than I should have been, 11 or 12 years old when I figured, hey, wait, sitcoms come in 30 minutes, drama comes in one hour, And, you know, there's got to be some time for the credits and stuff. So if I look at the clock, I can see it's almost over. And, you know, then you have that sense of anticipation. How are they going to resolve the tension of this episode you know, how in the sitcom are all the little funny things going to come together and have some sort of, uh, uh, you know, something at the end where you go, oh, that was nice, and you have a final laugh, and then it goes to, you know, the credits. Or in a drama, of course, you know, you've seen all the things happening, and you know that it's formulaic in some way. You're presented with a problem. They've got to find a way to solve the problem. And at the end, it gets solved, and you go, oh, that was nice. I'll tune in next week, too. I don't think I noticed it until there was some dramatic TV show, I I'm, I'm don't remember which one, that I thought, how in the world are they going to resolve this? There's only five minutes left in the episode. There's too much tension here, too many things going on. And then they leave you at a cliffhanger and they build it up and across the screen flashes the words, To Be Continued. And you're like, oh, it's the first of a double episode. Wow. As a young child, I was so impressed with the double episode. And of course, I wanted to tune in next week because I had to see how the story turned out. Right. And that's what we have happening right here in Second Timothy. It's like a double episode. It's the second half of the story and really the second half of the guidance, wisdom or advice that Paul would extend to his son in the ministry, Timothy. And friends, we're the privileged benefactors of that, that By God's sovereignty, Paul wrote it down. And by God's sovereignty, it was copied by others and passed down through generations. And we have it even today that we can read. And as Paul referred to Timothy as his dear son in verse 2 here, I entitled this sermon, Encouraging a Spiritual Child. Because that's really what the entire book is. And as we look at this introduction, that's what we see as well. The encouragement of a spiritual child. Now, Let's look at our scripture memory verse of the month. It's from today's sermon, and it's one that you maybe know. And if you don't know, you don't just want to say it here with me in church on Sunday morning. You want to memorize this thing, because if you haven't already had the times in your life where you've been challenged to fear, the word used here is timid or anxiety, you will. And these words will come back true to comfort you. That God does give us power. God does give us love and self-discipline or a sound mind. Let's say it together. Second Timothy 1-7. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1-7. Yeah. That's what God does for us. So now, if you've got your Bible and you're able to stand with me, would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word as we read this passage, verses 1-7, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-7. through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father... And Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears. I long to see you so I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith. Which first lived in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is uh, in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Pray with me, church. Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning and as we open your word, we always pray that you open our minds, our hearts, that we might understand and that we would hear clearly from you the things you desire us to know and how you desire us to respond. We pray this in Jesus name and everyone said amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The first two verses Of 1 Timothy chapter 1 are not unlike the first two verses of any right letter that Paul wrote. They are a greeting. And so I called it Howdy Timothy, right? Howdy Timothy! Well, I'm from Texas, so I can say howdy. Even though I've lived in Nebraska a long time and I, don't, I can't imagine going back to Texas. Anybody want to join me in that? No one wants to join go to Texas, right? We want to stay here in Nebraska. It's the good life here, right? It's not for everybody, but it is the good life. Howdy, Timothy, he says. And that's the way he would have said it back then. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful way to start a letter. I would encourage you, friends, if you don't write letters, maybe you should. Maybe you should take the time at least to write a card, not just to, you know, write love and your name on the bottom of it with somebody else's nice words printed in there. But that other side of the card that generally is blank or just has a picture with some open space, write your own words in it. Tell people how you feel and tell them why you feel that way, about who they are and what you hope for them. Write a prayer for them. Write to people. Melanie and I were engaged in the days when, yeah, it was 12 cents a minute to talk on the phone after uh, 9 p.m., but we also wrote real letters to one another. And if you look in the right place in my house, those letters are tucked away, hidden safely where we kept those. I still have written the letters that my mom and dad wrote me when I went away to college and when I went away to Africa as a missionary. Those letters are treasures because they include hope and they include scripture. They include promises. They include love. They include prayers that they wrote for me. But look at my question there. He says, howdy, Timothy, but he says something interesting. And your your first question on the outline is, what is the promise of life? What is the promise of life? Because I noticed that as unique in this greeting. Verse 1. According to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Did you hear it there? Where's the promise of life in that scripture? Where's the promise of life in that phrase? It is in who? Yes. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer in Jesus, I hope that you would agree with me that the promise of your life is in Christ Jesus, that on your own, because of your mental ability, because of the hard work that you can do, you can have some promise. We live in America by God's grace, and if you work hard, you can probably get ahead and succeed in the way that our world reckons things. But the greater promise of life is not what we do here on earth to make money or provide for our family or do things like that, but the greater promise is in Christ Jesus. It's a promise of abundant life. It's a promise of eternal life. When you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are called an heir or a joint heir with His of eternal life. You're given abundant life. You're called children of God Himself. There's a promise of life there. But then I made a summary statement in that first point. And that summary statement is two words: character counts. Character counts. What in the world do I mean by that? Well, look back at the words that Paul uses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. So it's God's will that he's been given the job as an apostle, a missionary, if you will, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So first he's called to his job as an apostle by God, but then he's doing that job by the promise of life in Jesus. And then he writes to his son in the ministry, Timothy Then look at the words he uses, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He's calling out these virtues of what he wishes to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace, of who he is, an apostle, in Christ Jesus. And the simplest way I could think to summarize that was character counts. But remember, friends... Although we're called to work on our character and be virtuous. That is not on our own, not by our own power. It is in Christ Jesus. It is by the will of God. And from God the Father in Christ Jesus. That as a believer in Jesus, you're not on your own. You're called to live a life of character. But that life of character is a gift from God as you let it flow through you. If you're like me, you just kind of got to stand back and get out of the way. Or maybe more so, you need to confess your sin of getting in God's way first, then stand back and get out of the way. And that's what we see happening here. So let's go on to your second point on your outline. Your second point, as I wrote it, is we've got a lot to be thankful for. Right off the top of the letter, Paul names some things that Timothy has to be thankful for let 's look back at it. Verse three. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did. His forefathers were Jews, but he, uh, they served God as they knew, but paul uh, Christ revealed himself to him, so Paul has following Jesus that way with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. I have a relationship with you that is close. I can thank God for that. I had forefathers who taught me how to serve God as a Jewish believer. I can thank God for that. Look at this recalling your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. There was an intimacy of relationship with Paul and Timothy that just the very sight of him would fill him with joy. Who do you have in your life that maybe they live somewhere separate now? One of your children, your grandchildren? maybe your parents, a dear friend, that just to see them as you meet each other again in an airport concourse, as you pull up in their driveway and the door opens before you can even ring the doorbell and they rush out to give you a hug. And just seeing them fills you with joy because of the intimacy and the love that you share. Paul had that kind of relationship. Look at verse 5. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. I think that's a little bit of an understatement. Paul knew Timothy so well that to say it that way in our English, and I am persuaded now lives in you also, as if there was some question that that faith was ever real in Timothy. Now, some would say that alludes to the fact that there was a time when Timothy, maybe because of his timidity, maybe because of his immaturity and his age, maybe because of the situations that Paul asked him to go into or God asked him to go into, was a little bit... And Paul had some question, maybe not of his faith as a believer in Jesus, but of his faith as someone who could be obedient to Jesus in any terrible or difficult circumstance. So... Your question there is, how is sincere faith determined? How is sincere faith determined? He said it was sincere, sine sire, without wax in Latin, literally meaning uh, that, it, like a fine por- pottery, that it was perfectly made, there weren't any cracks in it that wax needed to cover up. And how is sincere faith determined? I think, really, it's a difficult question through trials. Through difficult circumstances in your life. Is when you see how strong you are. Just like when you exercise your physical body. And when you push your body to do something. Maybe you didn't think you could do. It's only in pushing. It's only in doing something you've maybe never done before. Or didn't think was possible. That you will see what the limits were. The same is true of faith. It's just like a muscle. It works that way. And your summary Statement there, and your second point is two words faith shows. Faith shows other people will see your faith, not because you're all braggadocious about it hey, look what I did, or look what God did in my life. But when they look at your life and then they think about it and they do the math well, this, this, there's a missing ingredient in there for my life. Well, wonder how that is. You know, they always talk about Jesus and they quote scripture. Maybe that's the missing ingredient. Friends, you live your life in such a way that your faith shows. Not just by the words you say or the music you listen to or the Jesus fish on the back of your car, the cross around your neck, but the actions of your life that demonstrate your faith. Timothy's faith showed to Paul as your faith showed to other people you know. Your third and final point on your outline this morning is that use what God has given you. Use what God has given you. Now, uh, friends, uh, not only was this a unique Sunday in that uh, I wasn't up before I preached, but this is a unique Sunday in that this is going to be like a 20-minute sermon. Watch out. We're about to finish this thing up, okay? That's like half the time I normally preach. No, I'm not sick. We're just fitting it in. Because uh, Dick that gave his testimony this week and Vasile that gave their testimony next week, we're going to have a special called church family meeting at the end of our service. And you're all welcome to stay, you know, even if you're our guest. We're going to real quick go in and you can mark your ballot and turn that in. Guys will pick that up. We'll sing another song while those are counted. And then uh, we'll go to Sunday school after that, right? So that's why I'm pressing on here today. But look back at your scripture. Use what God has given you. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Wow. Wow. Now, Paul himself, some think, it's not recorded anywhere, but his intimacy and in his relationship with Timothy, many think it was Paul that led Timothy to faith in Christ. And if it wasn't Paul that actually led him to faith in Christ, uh, that he would call him his spiritual son, they spent so much time together, it felt like that. And it was Paul then, definitely because of this scripture, that laid hands on Timothy and prayed for him. Maybe not in the ordaining a deacon sort of way of laying hands, but and certainly because they were close, he actually put his hands on him and prayed for him that he'd have faith, prayed for him that he'd have character that counts, prayed for him that he had faith that would show that he would live a life that would be a witness to others. This phrase in there, though, raises our third question. And how is a gift fanned into flame? flame? I'll never forget my sophomore year, towards the end of the year. My roommate at the time was a buddy from uh, home, and we had worked together at McDonald's. And he had this idea that, at, uh, you know, to celebrate uh, the end of his freshman year, the end of my sophomore year, and with a couple friends, we would go to a local park, and he was gonna make some hamburgers for us, because we worked at McDonald's. We know how to make hamburgers, right? Well, he had some wood, and he had some other stuff, and he had some lighter fluid. And, you know, we're with one of those little things at the park. And I'll never forget watching Corey try to light this. Because we only had a little bit of paper. And we had these big logs. And you need some kindling or something like that. Corey... Obviously, Say was not a Boy Scout, and nor did he grow up in the city or or the country somewhere where you might light fires more often. He was a city boy. So we have two or three big logs in the little thing. We have a little bit of newspaper, and we're going to try to cook some burgers. And I remember it was like unseasonably cold for Abilene, Texas in May when we're, you know, in finals week. And so, what did he do? We were all like, you got air fluid. And he doused those logs. And then the flames would go down. He doused those logs. We were all like, you're going to catch yourself on fire, man. The fire's going to go back up the stream. And he doused those logs so much that they sort of finally started, kept going. And then he put the burgers on, and it took forever to cook them. In which he doused the logs some more, some more, some more, blow it on it, blow it on it, blow it on it, try to get the flame to go. I think I took two bites of that burger and spit it out. It tasted like lighter fluid. We referred to them for years as the lighter fluid burgers. It was a good story, but we went home with our bellies still empty, other than maybe the bag of chips we brought, right? Corey tried. There's a right way to build a fire, And a right way to build a fire, you start with smaller dry ingredients and then you get that started with whatever you're using to start it. And you got to give some uh, wind to that, some air to that to help that combust and then some little bit bigger sticks get burned and some little bit bigger get burned. And then you catch your logs on fire, right? There's a right way to build a life and you don't start with the big things, you start with the smaller things. And as we are in Growing up in church, it's a privilege for boys and girls here to be in this church and their moms and dads to bring them here and for many of you to serve in the nursery and to serve in Sunday school and to serve in Awana so that boys and girls in small ways like those little embers can have the flames of faith grow in their life so they grow in maturity. Just like the way you build a fire, fan it, in, fan it, fan it into Excuse me. Your final point there and your third point, your summary statement gifts to grow. Gifts grow. All of us have natural talents and abilities. We're born with those things. Those things can, we can develop through practice. And those things we can develop through coaching. But when you are born again as a believer in Jesus, you're given spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts grow over time and grow like anything else with practice and with experience. And that's part of that fanning into flame, the gifts that God has given you, is that you get more used to doing something, more accomplished at doing something. And it comes easy for you, partly because God gifted you, but partly because you're exercising those gifts and God blesses you. And He wants you to use those gifts for everybody He's put in your life, not just for people in the walls of church, but your whole life. So that it'd bring glory to him. So you've got two concluding questions for you this morning. From this scripture today, what most challenges me? That's your first concluding question. From this scripture today, what most challenges me? I realize this is a short scripture and I didn't have a whole lot to say about it for the sake of time. But what most challenges you about this? That's a personal answer to you. I'm not giving you the answer. Everybody's different. But then the bring it home question. What am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? It's one thing to say, oh, that was an interesting observation pastor made about that. I never knew that before. It's another thing to say, man. That's the truth. It seems like God, by his Holy Spirit, is speaking that truth to me and I need to do something about it. I need to apply it to my life. Yeah. It's the new year, and I could that be a part of the new me? What am I going to do to change my attitudes, or my words, or my actions? Let's pray together. God, our Father, would you help us right now to confess what we need to confess? Surrender what we need to surrender. Obey where we need to obey. Have faith where you've called us to faith. That no matter what it is, no matter how, we'd be obedient to you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.